You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning. It is great to be here, and you know what? The place is filling up. I've kind of been here a number of times over the pandemic, and let's be honest, those were kind of sad days sometimes, weren't they? Lots of you online, but so wonderful to see people in the house. Um, Just quick disclaimer right off the bat. This thing right here, I know, terrible. I got it. I know. My wife, very upset about this. But uh, I am supporting some friends of mine on a November project, so that's what this is about. I don't think it looks good. I don't think it's cool. It will disappear on November 30th. It'll be the early Christmas gift to my wife. So please don't be distracted by the nasty mustache. It's all going to be okay. Uh, before I jump into the message this morning, can I just have like a, a two minutes Two minutes just to kind of say a couple things about Kelowna's Gospel Mission with you before we begin. I kind of, it's kind of my shtick. Is that all right? One person. Really? Only one. Okay. <laughs> I heard it up here. I'm going to tell you about what's going on. No. Uh, Chris has done an amazing job. And I guess what I want to say mostly is just thank you. Like, thank you to as, uh, to as a church family. I mean, if, I hope you've heard as he was speaking, you folks have partnered with us in a powerful way. I have what I would call a few flagship churches in town, and you are at the top of the list. So thank you for your investment in the work that we do here in our community among the most marginalized men and women, our neighbors in need. Thank you so much. Your time, your energy, your financial gifts are having a tangible, significant impact in the lives of the men and women that we are privileged to serve. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for being taking the lead on our Hamper campaign. You may not know this, but you were the first church to kind of embrace a Hamper campaign. And last year, another church heard about what you were doing, or they're like, well, hey, we can do that too. And this year, we have three churches who've joined in uh, to help us out. And so your Hampers that you prepare over the next couple of weeks will have a, a profound impact in the lives of families this Christmas season as you share these real tangible um, tokens and gifts of caring with people in our community in need this Christmas season. And uh, I was going to talk about the match, but Chris already did that. That's amazing. Huge thank you to our donors and corporate partners who've given us $100,000 in matching pledges, which means every dollar that comes in between November 22nd and 29th is doubled. And so it's a great opportunity to maximize your impact and your giving as you think about the year end this year at Kelowna's Gospel Mission. And thank you in advance uh, for your faithfulness as we continue to partner together. Uh, Well, this morning, we're going to continue with your parable series. Uh, Keith invited me to speak on one of the parables, and so we're going to continue by unpacking what I would call Jesus' counter-cultural, subversive parable of the Good Samaritan. And this morning, I believe God wants to challenge us about what it looks like to be people who live and love mercy. Now, I'm going to argue from the very beginning of the message that mercy is one of those often overlooked teachings and attributes in the life and ministry of Jesus. But if you start digging in to the Gospels, what you'll discover is you'll find the word mercy appears 21 times in the Gospels, most often in the context of people who are facing some of the most challenging, difficult situations imaginable. They find themselves in hopeless, helpless places. Whether it's a man with a son who's possessed or or foreign woman, a Canaanite woman, with an ill daughter or some blind man on the side of the road or Bartimaeus in Jericho, you name it. They're in terribly desperate situations. When they hear that Jesus is near, they call out for mercy. And time and time again, what we see in the Gospels is Jesus responds in mercy over and over and over again. Because, you see, I want to argue this morning that mercy 
is at the heart of Jesus' mission and ministry. See, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about this. We actually love to talk and think about things like justice and, and power and judgment and sometimes grace. But we don't spend a lot of time really unpacking and digging into Jesus' teaching and his modeling of ministry. But the more that I've looked into and dug into the life of Jesus, the more that I've looked at the scriptures, I think what you discover is that mercy is at the center of it all. Mercy is at the center of who Jesus was, why he came, and how he lived as the Son of God come in the flesh for the redemption of the world. Mercy was at the center of it all. And so this morning, I want to invite you to join me as we try to rediscover, or maybe discover for the first time, what this whole mercy thing is all about. And I think if we are going to have any hope of unpacking the parable of the Good Samaritan for all that it's worth, we're first going to have to do a little bit of background, a little digging, we're going to go on a little quick journey to kind of wrap our heads around what does mercy mean, what does it look like, and how do we put it into practice. So I want to begin in Matthew of all places. Uh, We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, where we first kind of encounter this this teaching around mercy, and Jesus talking about mercy. What I love about the Beatitudes is it's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of like this, this intensive discipleship course that Jesus is about to unfold in this teaching. And right here at the very beginning of this intensive discipleship training, Jesus begins with these words in Matthew 5, 7. He says this, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, that sounds pretty beautiful, doesn't it? That sounds like a good thing, but trust me when I tell you, that little phrase is packed full of power. It is a challenging, challenging call for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus today. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. See, that word blessed is brilliant. I love this word. If you start to unpack the word blessed, it it literally means God is with, God is for, God is on the side of. So what Matthew is saying, or what Jesus is teaching and Matthew records, is that God is on the side of, God is with, God is for those who practice mercy, and they will be shown mercy. But what does that actually mean? mean? It's a beautiful promise, but what does it mean? And I think for us to kind of really wrap our heads around it, we're going to have to look at the Greek. And I just want to confess right now, I'm a nerd. Maybe you haven't figured that out as of yet, but we've been around a little bit, right? We're getting to be friends? One of us again. Excellent. You're really warm today, guys. Really warm. I'm enjoying this. This is good. This is good. I'm a nerd, I'm a bit of a geek, and so I want to look at just one Greek word this morning, and it's not going to be too scary, but I think it's going to help us as we kind of trace this mercy's thread through a few pieces of scripture and then come back to our main text for the day. And so let's look at the word for mercy or merciful, and it's the Greek word eleos. Go ahead and say that with me. Eleos. One more time like you actually mean it. Eleos. Yeah, it's a big, powerful word. It kind of contains two ideas in the one word. So what Elias means is it means compassion for those who are afflicted and a willingness to alleviate their affliction. Encapsulated in that one word. Compassion for those who are afflicted and the willingness to alleviate their affliction. Now, this, this is important. This is a big deal. So basically, this word mercy talks about Compassion for those who are suffering and a willingness to take action in order to alleviate their suffering. So when we think about mercy, we need to recognize that this is an action word. 
Mercy is not a static state of being, but instead, I would suggest it is a dynamic way of being in the world where we actually care for and serve those who are struggling or suffering. Mercy is all about action. Compassion and action married together. But that's just the beginning. Because you see, we are called to be people of mercy, people full of compassion who take action on behalf of those who are suffering precisely because this God, this great God that we serve, he is a God of mercy. Follow us along with me just for a moment. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Paul puts it this way, and I love Paul. Beginning in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also loved among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature deserving of wrath. And we'll just pause there. So what Paul's basically saying is, all of us were in the same boat. All of us. All of us were lost. All of us were broken. All of us were sinful. All of us were in the same boat. Lost, hopeless, helpless, and alone. Unable to change anything about our brokenness and our pain. Are we tracking so far? That's the same boat. We're all in the same boat. But Paul continues with this great news. He says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Did you catch that? God says, but because of God's great love, our God who is rich in mercy, Elias, made us alive in Christ. Can I get an amen in the hisseps? Yeah, yeah, mercy's a good thing. But you guys don't seem that excited about it, so maybe an illustration will kind of help. Basically, here's what Paul is saying, and I want us to kind of grasp this this morning. Paul's saying, let's pretend, Paul's saying basically that God is over here against this beautiful panel wall. This is where God was, right? Where were we? We were as far away as we could be. We were all the way at the very edge, in the very back row, and I'm not picking on back row people, I love back row people, but basically what, what Paul's saying is we were as far away as we could possibly be, as far removed from God as we could get, hopeless and helpless and alone, but the good news is that we have this God who has this incredible unconditional love for his children, and he is so full of mercy that he took on our behalf while we were as far away as we could possibly be. He initiated. He took the first step. He came to us in our brokenness and our pain. He made the first move. He did not wait for us to come and find him. He did not wait for us to get it all sorted out. He saw us in our suffering and our brokenness and our pain, and he came to us in a costly way. He came to us in the person of his son, Jesus, in the incarnation, which we celebrate Coming up this Christmas season, he came to us in the flesh to meet us where we are, to bring healing and wholeness to his broken creation. That's who our God is. He is rich in mercy. And don't make a mistake, mercy is costly. It was at great cost to God as he came in the person of Jesus and lived among us and experienced life like we experience it. It was a life that led him to a Desperate, cruel death on the cross so that we could be forgiven and free. You see, we are invited, dare I say, we are called to be people 
who live and love mercy because our God, in his compassionate love, is rich in mercy. And when we are on the back row as far as we could be, he had mercy on us. Are you with me? Yeah. But it gets better. Check this out. One last little piece of background. Book of Hebrews, verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. I love this. The author of the Hebrews writes, For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. I love that little phrase. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. I realize I just jumped ahead, so I want to run back just for a second. I hope this isn't going to mess up the slides too much, but I forgot to mention that one of my favorite um, commentators, William Barclay, an old, old Bible commentator, he says when we read the word mercy in the New Testament, we should think about it this way. We should think about it as getting into someone else's skin. He continues to say, mercy is to, is to see what they, to, to think what they think, to see what they see, to feel what they feel. You see, mercy isn't about feeling sorry for someone. It's not about pity. It's about getting into their skin. Don't you love that? Because you see, that is exactly what our great God, who is full of mercy, did for us in Jesus. And here in Hebrews, the author reminds us again that Jesus became like us in every way so that he could be our faithful and what? Merciful high priest, a high priest who is full of Elias. Don't miss this. The creator of the universe took on human flesh and lived among us, which means Jesus understands what it's like to be human. He has experiential knowledge of the human condition. He understands what it's like to be rejected. He understands what it's like to be misrepresented, misunderstood, judged, maligned, alone, isolated, ignored, lied about. Jesus understands what it's like to be under incredible emotional stress, what it's like to feel abandoned and alone. He understands excruciating physical pain. Even death is not foreign to him. You see, our great high priest, Jesus, got into our skin. And because of that, he can sympathize and he can empathize and he is more than well equipped to actually show us mercy when we face trials and temptations and heartbreak and pain. So this God who invites us to be people who live and love mercy, he led the way by getting into our skin and showing us exactly what that looks like. So that's the background. Mercy is about getting into someone else's skin. Now let's keep that in mind while we turn to our text in Luke chapter 10. Now I don't have it up on the screen for you this morning because I just want you to kind of listen to it. You can follow along if you have your Bibles, but I just want you to kind of listen to Jesus' teaching. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is it written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and with all, sorry, and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and, and, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I hope you see why we did that little bit of thread chasing of mercy through some of the New Testament. Because, you see, I don't think we're going to understand what Jesus is teaching here without it. So the story begins with the teacher of the law asking a very important question of Jesus. I think sometimes it's easy for, the, for us to read this like he's trying to trip Jesus up, but I actually think he's asking a super important question. And I want you to know how diff, notice how different his question is right in the very beginning from the kind of questions we tend to ask. You notice what his question is? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, I think if we were asking that question today, we would probably ask a question like this. What must I believe to inherit eternal life? Not so here. He asks about what must I do. So whatever is being talked about in this parable is all in the context of doing. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Which makes sense because mercy, after all, is an action verb. That's what it is. And so he asks, what must I do? And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? You're the expert in the law. You tell me. He says, well, you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, nailed it. Great job. Do that, and you will have life. You will have life. Really, what he's saying is you'll have life now and in the world to come. You will have life. But of course, the next logical question is the question that the teacher of the law asks. Teacher of law then asked the next natural question, well then, who's my neighbor? And if I was Jesus, I would have just made a checklist. Wouldn't that have been a lot easier? But no, true to form, Jesus our rabbi begins to teach and he tells a parable. He says, there once was a man who was heading from Jerusalem to Jericho along the road that everyone knew. A road road that looked a lot like, looks like this today actually. This is the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Yeah. And as you can see, it's rocky and it's craggy, and it was notorious for having bandits and thieves along it. It was a dangerous road. And even at the very beginning of the story, people are probably thinking, what is wrong with this man as he is traveling alone? Why? Why is he traveling alone? He's asking for trouble, but Jesus has said to this man, he's traveling alone on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he makes his way along. And of course, what happens? A band of bandits jumps him beats him within an inch of his life, strips him of everything he owns, and leaves him bruised and bloody, lying half dead in the ditch. Now, thankfully, thankfully, not long afterwards, we are told that a priest 
comes by. But as he sees the half-dead dude lying in the ditch, the priest looks at him, and for whatever reason, we're not sure about his motivation, but he steps to the other side and he continues on his way. He does not want to get involved. Maybe he was in a hurry. Maybe he was afraid it was a trap. Maybe he didn't want to become ceremonially unclean because he was going to serve. We don't know. But he steps by, he goes on the other side. A little while later, we're told that a Levite comes along and he sees the half-dead dude lying in the ditch and he does the exact same thing. For whatever reason, we do not know why, but he steps to the other side and he continues on. Now, Jesus says, thankfully, a third person comes along, a Samaritan. Now, we have to remember that Jesus is speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience. And so when he said the word Samaritan, there was an audible (gasps) in the room. So I think we should practice that this morning. Are you ready? So a third man came along and it was a Samaritan. I know, right? Crazy! See, we have to understand that that as far as Jewish people were concerned, Samaritans were scum-sucking dogs, and the feeling was mutual. They hated each other. And this is important because now in the story, this new character's entered in who is not like the other two. You have a half-dead Jewish dude laying in the ditch, and now you have a Samaritan who in their mind, as the audience, was other. They were other. They were someone that they had nothing in common with. Some might even said they are the enemy. You do not associate with a Samaritan. As a matter of fact, many Jewish people, they felt so strongly about Samaritans that if they were traveling north, they would actually extend their trip by days to walk around Samaria instead of setting foot in it. They had a serious hate on for each other. So Jesus says, now this person who comes along is a Samaritan. And the Samaritan sees the half-dead Jewish dude lying in the ditch. And we're told that he has pity is how my Bible translates it, but it's the word Elios. He has compassion on him. And now I want you to notice what happens next. It's actually super fascinating in the Greek. In the next two verses, Jesus packs in 12 action verbs in two verses to describe what the Samaritan does. 12 action verbs just kind of packed into this massive sandwich as he goes to him. He pours oil and wine. He picks him up. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to the inn. He cares for him. He nurses him. He pays for his care. He promises to come back. Just verb after verb after verb getting piled on as this Samaritan has Elios on the half-dead dude in the ditch. Why? Why does Jesus just pack all these verbs up for us? Because I would suggest he wants us to understand that Elios, mercy, is about compassion in action. And after this Samaritan, who was other, has done all of this, has shown this incredible, costly mercy to the half-dead dude in the ditch, Jesus turns back to the teacher of the law, and he says, in front of everyone who's listening, who's also in awe of this story, he says, now tell me, who was a neighbor to the half-dead dude in the ditch? And I like to imagine the teacher of the law, through clenched teeth, went, the one who showed him mercy. Did you notice that? Did you notice that though? He doesn't say the Samaritan, does he? He can't even say it. The one who showed him mercy. I'm not sure if Jesus' countenance changed, but the whole tenor of the text changes in the Greek where we move from this storytelling Jesus to this final phrase 
is in the voice of command, where Jesus then says, you go and do likewise. If you want to know how you need to live in order to inherit eternal life both here and now, if you want to live as one of my disciples, then you go and you do exactly what the Samaritan did. You embrace a life of Elias, of mercy, of compassion in action on behalf of those in your community who are suffering and struggling. Why? Because when we were on the back row, as far as we could get from God, he had mercy on us. My friends, this is a hard teaching. This parable often seems simple, and we love to tell it in Sunday school, but when you start to unpack it and dig in, it is a challenging word. It calls us to a level of care for others in our community that most of us have yet not experienced. It is calling us to develop new eyes, fresh eyes, compassionate hearts, and courage to act on behalf of the people in our community that we see, that we know, that we come upon, who are struggling and in need. It is not a call to the faint of heart. It's a call to action, to a whole new way of living and being in the world. Jesus says to each of us today, you and you and you and you and me, follow in the footsteps of the Samaritan. Go and do likewise. When you see someone in need, get into their skin. Learn to think what they think and see what they see and feel what they feel. And then, because of God's great love poured out on you, have mercy on them. And did you notice how in the story Jesus also expands the idea of who our neighbor is? Did you notice that? As far as Jesus is concerned, who's our neighbor? Everyone, right? Everyone. But do you notice who he, who he kind of explicitly includes in that? People that we might consider as other, as different, as an enemy. So Jesus' call for us to show mercy isn't just to show mercy on people that we know and love, that we're connected with here in the church family, people where it's not very costly at all. No, I think Jesus is challenging us to go bigger, to go wider. I think he's inviting us to a whole new level of mercy, to show, level, to show mercy to people who are really different from us, to show mercy to people that maybe we really don't like that much, to show mercy to people who really don't like us that much. Jesus says, go, be my disciples, and show mercy. So who's my neighbor? Everyone. And so, if your neighbor happens to be a single mom with multiple kids struggling to make ends meet, and you see her struggling, Why not try getting into her skin? Learn to think like she thinks and see what she sees and feel what she feels and then have mercy on her. Take compassion action to help, to bless, to serve. If your neighbor 
If your neighbor is a refugee who's been driven from the country by war or famine or some other humanitarian emergency and they're from another country and maybe they have a different religious background and maybe their beliefs are completely different from you, but they are here and they are struggling and you see them, why not just get into their skin and learn to think like they think and see what they see and feel what they feel and then have mercy on them? If your neighbor is struggling with a debilitating disease, Learn to get into their skin and and think what they think and see what they see and feel what they feel and then have mercy on them. If your neighbor's HIV positive, then get into their skin and learn to think like they think and see what they see and feel what they feel and have mercy on them. If your neighbor is a person experiencing homelessness that you walk by every day on the street, pause and try to get into their skin. Think what they think, see what they see, feel what they feel every single day as they live on the margins. And then choose to have mercy on them. Friends, I would suggest that this is exactly how Jesus calls us, dare I say, commands us to live as his followers today. And it's not rocket science, really. It's all about cultivating eyes to see, hearts full of compassion, well aware of the mercy that we've received, and then just the courage to act, to take that one step towards someone and to show them mercy. Friends, it's my hope and my prayer this morning that God will be stirring our hearts and that we'll hear him call us in fresh and new ways to follow in his footsteps the God who first showed mercy to us as we live as the people of God in the world today. Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come now, and they're going to close us off this morning. And as they do, here's what I want to invite you to do. I just want to invite you to take a moment. If you're open to it, just kind of close your eyes. If you don't want to close your eyes, that's fine. But I'd love us just to kind of calm our hearts and quiet our minds for a moment and just listen. Listen to what the Spirit might be saying to us this morning. Maybe in the quiet of these moments, we could just take a moment to say thank you. Thank you to God for the incredible mercy that he has poured out and continues to pour out in our lives every single day. Maybe we could take a moment where we would just reflect and let the Spirit bring to mind some people that we already know, that we already interact with every single day who could sure use a little bit of mercy this week. Let's calm our hearts and quiet our minds just for a moment. And in the silence, let's listen as the Spirit invites us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the one who got into our skin so that we could be forgiven and free, the one who came to lead us from brokenness to wholeness, from isolation to relationship, from death to life, the one who invites us to be about the same ministry in the world today. So let's calm our hearts and quiet our minds just for a moment. We'll just give it a moment and then I'll pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence with us this morning. This morning, we just give you honor and praise, and we say thank you. Thank you that you are a Savior who is rich in mercy, who did not and does not wait for us to get it all sorted out before we can come to you, but you came searching for us. You came to us in our brokenness and our pain. You came to us, and you welcomed us, and you embraced us, and you loved us. You brought us from isolation into relationship. You took the broken pieces of our lives, and you put them back together again. You've given us a family, a home, an eternal hope of life forever with you. Thank you that you are rich in mercy. Remind each of us this morning, I pray, that as followers of Jesus, we are part of a community of mercy. And I pray that by your spirit, you would help each and every one of us to live and love mercy more and more every single day so that your kingdom might come and your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven to the glory of our great God and King. We love you, Jesus. Amen.